May I speak in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, nobody wanted a Holy Week like this. Our calendars have been scrambled, our worship cut short, our community scattered. As we prepare for the holiest days of the Christian year, nobody asked for this crisis. God did not cause this pandemic, and yet the common good calls us to stay home this year. So in light of COVID-19, I want to ask, where is the good news in this passion story? You see, God's truth still shines through an imperfect storyteller. Consider Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, as Matthew tells it. If Matthew has one job, it is to show that all this happens to fulfill the scriptures. He writes these words over a dozen times because he is a Jew writing to Jews using the Jewish scriptures to convince them that Jesus is the Messiah. The man is on a mission. But in his zeal, he misses a convention of Hebrew poetry called parallelism. So he begins with Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. What Zechariah means is... A and what's more B. In other words, this king is going to come to you on a really unimpressive horse. Not even a horse, actually. It's going to be a donkey. And not even a grown-up donkey, but a colt. The male child of a donkey. He's using poetry to exaggerate the point. But Matthew misses the poetry, and he takes Zechariah literally. He writes, The disciples brought the donkey and the colt, and place their cloaks on them, plural, for Jesus to sit on. So now you have Jesus riding into town on two different beasts, which is 100% impossible and hilarious, plus it shows the danger of taking the Bible out of context. And yet the most important story ever told still shines through this imperfect vessel. Judas still gets communion. Jesus prays, thy will be done, and seeing his betrayer with an army, Jesus calls Judas' friend. Then the justice system twists the truth. Those in power kill to keep their power. Pilate is afraid of the bad ratings, the political fallout, the real cost of doing the right thing, even though he knows he is about to spill innocent blood. So the mob gets its way. Jesus the Christ, God's only Son, goes willingly to the cross, where he is butchered and tortured. The curtain is torn in two. The earth shakes and the rocks are split. And we are left to make some sort of meaning out of all of this. How are we to understand the cross? Is it a blood sacrifice to an angry God? Indeed, this substitutionary atonement theory of the cross has been peddled for centuries, causing great damage. You've probably heard it from someone. Humanity's sin 
causes a vengeful God such rage that someone has to suffer. Jesus takes the pain for all of us, and our salvation is found in his suffering, a blood offering to an angry God. Let me be clear, this is not the God revealed in Scripture. What of God's love and mercy, justice and compassion? Starting with Yahweh's forgiveness after the golden calf fiasco in Exodus, moving through Jeremiah's promise of iniquities forgiven, and exemplified in Jesus' life and teaching, we cannot understand Yahweh, the God of the Old and New Testaments, and the one Jesus calls Abba, Father, as anything other than love. And what's more, we must reject a theology that would separate the Father from the Son. So then how are we to make sense of this cross? As Paul writes, the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. How does the cross save? And from where does the power come? We cannot and should not hide the brutality of it. Oppressed people have pointed to the cross as the clearest sign known the clearest possible symbol that God feels their pain and knows their story. As one of my mentors who is African-American writes, do not take the blood out of the cross because my people shed a lot of it. Also, sin is our biggest problem. We miss the mark. We give in to greed over charity, self over other, fear over love, and the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We are stuck in sin, and we need God's grace. We cannot earn our way to God without mercy, and the cross is the crux of God's forgiveness. Why? Theologians Karl Barth and Karl Rahner offer an exciting perspective. God keeps saying yes to the world. The world keeps saying no to God. Hear the story. God says yes to the world in the primal blur of creation, but the world says no to God by turning away from God's will. God says yes to the world by sending prophets and sages to reveal a righteous law. As Walter Brueggemann writes of the prophet Jeremiah, God does not do these things merely out of some kind of stubborn faithfulness, but out of deep wounded love and profound grief that have moved God beyond anger to tender caring, and most importantly, to forgiveness. We realize with Dr. King that there can be no deep disappointment where there is not deep love. Then in the fullness of time, God so loves the world that God says yes again and sends his only son for the sake of the world. But the world keeps saying no, this time to Jesus. We scorn and challenge him, and ultimately say no in the strongest possible terms, by putting him to death, even death on a cross. Yet in the midst of all of this, still, God waits for a yes from the world. This is where and how the cross saves. Jesus, God incarnate intercedes on our behalf. Jesus says, Father, forgive them, all of them, 
everybody, all the time, for everything, for they know not what they do. And because Jesus is fully human, incarnate, in this world, finally the world can say yes back to God, and so all is forgiven, and the cross becomes the ultimate symbol of grace. But there's more to the cross's power. Arms outstretched from across a cold, lonely stone, Jesus looks at the stone walls of Jerusalem. And past there he sees the valley of the shadow of death and all the roads that lead to Rome. He sees the worst of the domination system. Indeed, he feels its pain in his body. He stares it down. He exposes it, and ultimately he rejects it. From the cross he might have sought vengeance for those who wounded him, but instead he prays God to forgive him. And he promises after his resurrection to draw all people to himself. Thus, centuries after Rome crashes under empire's broken and flawed promises, people across the globe this week are telling the story of Jesus of Nazareth, and they are not telling the story of Rome. Jesus says, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Indeed, this is the power of the cross. The Son of God saves others by not saving himself. The Son of God saves others by not saving himself. Love wins. Because in the end, love changes the rules. Love changes the world. So what are we to do with this passion in the throes of a pandemic? There are times when we are asked to do things we do not want. And this is one of those times. We can be formed in these moments. We can gain a new perspective. We can do God's work, even though God did not cause this pandemic. Jesus prays that the cup of crucifixion would be taken from him. Yet three times in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays, Yet not what I want, but what you want. Not my will, but thy will be done. Tolkien wrestles with a similar theme in The Lord of the Rings. Frodo pleads with wise old Gandalf, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. And Gandalf replies, So do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. I don't know about you, but this is not the Holy Week I wanted. I wanted to be with you, to celebrate with you, to get back to normal. But as Dave Hollis has said, in the rush to return to normal, may we use this time to consider which parts of normal are worth rushing back to. Yes, there is the new perspective. So much has fallen away. What needs to be built back up? What needs to be left behind? When everything we thought we could count on 
calendars and stock markets and the kids going to school, when all of that crumbles, that is precisely the time for us to be the church, all sorts and conditions of saints, to proclaim the power of love that Jesus shows from the cross when all around us is sinking sand on Christ the solid rock we stand, proclaiming that God is good all the time, that God is trustworthy and that God has work for us to do. Hallelujah anyhow. Amen.